Welcome to Daily Kosa's The Brief, our weekly show about politics. Here, we'll discuss the issues that are driving the news as we fight for a more progressive America. I am Marcos Molitsis, the founder of Daily Kos and your co-host, along with senior political writer Carrie Eleveld. If you want to join the conversation, we record the podcast live on YouTube and Facebook every Tuesday at 1.30 Pacific, 4.30 Eastern. Enjoy the show. Hello, beautiful people. Thanks for joining us today on The Brief. Marcos is out. And so I'm back and I've got two of my greats with me, Kara Zelaya, our content strategist, and also like like social media extraordinaire. And of course, uh, Joe Sudbay, good friend of mine, a longtime friend of mine who specializes in everything. First of all, he's a frequent host for subhost and host of, uh, for Sirius XM Progress. And so I listen to him often on there, um, but also uh, is sort of an expert in all kinds of democratic issues, including gun control, had a long history of doing that and LGBTQ issues, which is where we met and also works on immigration now. So, um, and he is like a constant connoisseur of Democrats, like being squeamish on all the things that progressives <laughs> think that they should be like getting out there because the polling is actually with us. So, you know, if you want, if you want the lowdown on where Democrats are failing, not only the American public, but the progressive base, Joe Sudbay is your man. So here we are, we are, this is, it's like bizarro world, right? I, we are coming up on a midterm where everything is unprecedented. We have record high inflation. We have a, an economy that is turning out blockbuster jobs numbers, right? But where people are extremely down about the economy. And it, in some ways, I know, you know, people want to argue about why they feel that way. Oh, should the administration be doing more um, to get the word out about how many, you know, about the jobs numbers and how many, you know, like the unprecedented number of jobs that they've created? Um, is the media not giving them credit? Blah, blah, blah. I talked to our pollster uh, who we were going to have on had to and, and uh, we, we will probably have him on, but he wasn't able to come out, join us for this show. And he said, look, I, I know people want to talk about that. It kind of doesn't matter. People feel really down about the economy and not just a little down. He was like, I am seeing 10 year lows in how people feel about the economy. So the economy, whether or not it's really hurt, hit, hurting people where it counts or whether or not it's a perception that it's hurting them where it counts, people are, they're like totally flustered and frustrated. And, and I think frustrated is a word that encompasses sort of everything, right? Frustrated about the pandemic, frustrated about the state of the world, frustrated about, you know, national upheaval, you know, about what's going on uh, with our politics, uh, about democracy, about, the ongoing pandemic, you know, it just like it goes on and on. So at the same time, right, we're, we're in a situation where this should be a terrible midterm for Democrats uh, in charge of the White House. President Biden's uh, approval rating is low, very low, 40 hovering right around 40 percent in the 538 average. But at the same time, he, he, he this is. I swear I'm going to get to some good news. <laughs> <laughs> Stick with me. Stick with me. 
kidding me. This is by that you're going to be like singing and dancing by the end of this. No, I'm just kidding. But I, <laughs> but I, I I can't stress how weird the dynamic is here. We Daily Coast um, and Civics, our sister organization, polled voters on whether they sort of generally like or trust Biden not his job approvals, because I, I was thinking in my head, I was like, and I had seen some evidence that even though his job approvals were low, you know, maybe he was just still generally likable on a certain level. Well, that didn't come out in the polling, I have to tell you. So he, he the, the news was not good. A majority of registered voters either somewhat or strongly dislike Biden. A majority say they either mostly don't trust Biden or don't trust him at all. So, you know, a plurality said they thought he was a good person. But that was like, that was the best of, that, of those three questions that we asked about like, trust, um, and good person versus bad person. So he's not doing particularly great on sort of any level, right? Now, at the same time, we have the January 6th committee that is putting together this blockbuster set of hearings on how Donald Trump incited and orchestrated and, you know, a, a, a not just a coup, but a whole strategy to undermine and subvert American democracy, right, to steal an election that didn't just, that culminated in January 6th, but that was, you know, that that may be the thing that sort of grabs the headline and you can't turn away because the video is so shocking, right? Um, the testimony from the day is so shocking. But the real shock is this coup attempt that, that started in the walls of the Oval Office and was orchestrated on a state level but with the help of GOP lawmakers to undermine uh, the will of the people. Right. And, you know, they're sort of like he, the, I said before, the Mueller investigation sort of failed to bring about or to, to totally establish criminal intent by Donald Trump, right? This web of connections between the Trump campaign and Russia or the Kremlin right, was very, very clear. It was all over the place. But criminal intent never was like quite there. This January 6th committee is going to have Donald Trump on criminal intent, you know, dead to rights, right? They're, they're going to have that phone call with Brad Raffensperger where he said, you know, find me 11,000 some votes so that one more than I need to win, right? Find, find that for me. Um, they've got him uh, you know, dictating a memo that he sent out saying that he and uh, Vice President Pence were on the same exact page on presidents on on, vi on the vice president's potential to act and and um, and authority to act to overturn the election when that wasn't true at all. He was setting Mike Pence up for failure because he knew that Mike Pence wasn't going to do it. They've got they're going to have uh, this testimony from the DOJ officials about, you know, this whole effort within DOJ, where basically he told the acting attorney general, hey, listen, 
just go ahead and say that you found corruption in the election and then let me take it from there. They said, you know, the acting attorney general wouldn't go along with this. The deputy attorney general wouldn't go along with this. And they said, we can't just flip a switch and make it like you won. And he said, I don't I don't expect you to do that. I just want you to announce that there was corruption and let me and my geo in the G in the Republican Congress uh, people, you know, we'll take it from there. So he he is admitting he he didn't he he knows he didn't win. He and he is pressuring people to overturn the election and criminal intent is all over the place. He knew he lost. Um, he knew that what he the scheme he was plotting was was completely illegal and unconstitutional. Everybody told him so and he did it anyway. And then on top of January 6th and this blockbuster stuff, and I'm gonna, I swear I'm gonna let you guys talk in a second, but you know, <laughs> uh, just getting all this off my chest. So then you've got this abortion issue, which as soon as this week, we could have, you know, an unprecedented overturning of Supreme Court precedent on abortion rights for people in this country in, you know, it, for the past 50 years. Right. This is a there's more going on than just this. But this is a crazy set of circumstances. So the way I see it, you've got these sort of historic um, what historically would be a very bad midterm for Democrats combined with some unprecedented issues like overturning 50 years of precedent of the um, of abortion rights uh, in the country and a post-coup midterm. And some of that cuts against Democrats, but some of it, which also animates voters, cuts in favor of Democrats. And we are going to talk about this, Kara, Joe, and I, and I will start out with Joe and say, Joe, what do you make of this Shit show. A, a, it is a shit show. And um, it was a great encapsulation, Carrie. Clearly, you've been away and had a lot on your mind. But it, it, it really feels like conversations we've all been having. And you mentioned I guest host a lot on Sirius XM Progress. I also have my own show called State of the States, where I talk to a lot of state legislative candidates. And the feedback I hear, and even when I listen to Sirius XM and just see on Twitter, is a combination of all of that. You know, the economy, yeah, I, I think the media has played a key role in showing how bad, the, you know, pointing out the bad in the economy. And look, I think one of the biggest manifestations is gas prices. And if you drive down the road, you see, you know, I saw today, I was driving to the airport and I saw that gas was four ninety nine. I don't even have a car in DC. I've been up in Maine. And so I've been driving a little bit more. Otherwise, I wouldn't even notice it. But I said, oh, gas is under five. Maybe it'll keep going. I think one of the things, and it's and a lot of it starts with Biden, is I have not seen Biden use the bully pulpit the way he needs to as a president of the United States, dealing with this crisis and dealing with all these crises and reinsuring the American people. And, you know, I know he's got, I think part of the problem is he's got a lot of old hands in there, people who've been around, people who helped previous presidents like Anita Dunn. This is not those times. This is a new time. And we need to see leadership and we need to see the president. Like, I want him calling out the oil companies. You know, 
Barrel of oil is not that much more than it was 10 years ago, but their prices are skyrocketing. We are being gouged. We yeah. are being gouged. The House took a vote on a bill like that. A Republican voted against it. Republicans, I, I, I actually, you know, I'm conspiratorial from being around Washington for too long. I wouldn't be a goddamn bit surprised if the oil companies are like, let's jack up the prices because, you know, they're all worried about climate change legislation. Let's screw the, the Democrats. Let's screw, screw Joe Biden. I know that sounds super conspiratorial, but nothing surprises me. Think of the January 6th hearings that we're watching yeah. right now. I, yeah. And I will say they have been absolutely riveting. And as someone who has watched Democrats for decades on Capitol Hill and their inability to kind of convey messaging, I am in awe, absolute awe of the work the January 6th committee is doing. They have held information tightly. Every time there's a hearing, you, you can just see we're gobsmacked. And, and you know, what's really interesting is the Capitol Hill press corps. There, you know, particularly the gossip columnists. There's a lot of gossip columnists up there, I call them, who are more interested in the theater and in the gossip of who said what about who and who says what anonymously. They've all been like completely you know, blown away by what they're seeing. And one more point to make, and it, well, two more points. And then I'm, and then, I'm <laughs> glad you think that because I feel like the, I feel like the Capitol Hill press corps is totally blown away by it. Um, and I, 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 that's been my suspicion. Um, but if that's what you're seeing, that makes me feel better. So yeah. go, go ahead. Cause that's part, yeah. that's certainly part of the, um, you know, part of the challenge, right. For Democrats right. is to, is to, was to flip the dynamic right away of the press corps being like, this isn't going to matter. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that sort of like sort of default cynical, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. take anyway, go ahead, Joe. Sorry. Well, and what's important about that is 10, I think around 10 million of people wa watching right now, uh, 20 million watched the first hearing, but a lot more people are getting it synthesized through CNN, MSNBC, not Fox, but, but even the evening news, they're seeing reporters who were there and are conveying that, right? In the, and you're hearing it on your local radio show and you're um, reading it in your local papers and people should subscribe to their local papers. I'm a big believer in that. But there's something else I wanted to say because I think it fits with the bigger theme. One of the things we're dealing with with a lot of these issues is, you know, in Donald Trump told us there would not be a peaceful transfer of power. He said it several times. He wouldn't commit to it, right? He told us. And we saw the shenanigans start to play out. There are a lot of people, Daily Coast, Sirius XM Progress, um, you know, media publications saying, this is a really serious situation. And you got the biggest eye rolls from people like, what do you think he's going to do? launch a coup? Yes, because he told us he was going to. And we know the people around him. And it's this weird thing, and it happens on other issues, and which brings me to the abortion issue. For decades, Republicans have been saying, we are going to take away a woman's right to have an abortion. We want to control their bodies. And, and Democrats would try and bring it up. We tried to bring it up in 2016, 2020. And you get that same kind of, uh you know, from the smarty pants crowd, even progressive, a lot of progressives would do the same. But why do you keep saying that? They tell us what they're going to do. But somehow they tell us what we're going to do. When we point out, they said they're going to do this. Everyone's like, why are you saying that? And they told us, right? you know? Told us, so yeah. I just think that that's an important point. Um, and, you know, I, I, and, and the last thing I want to say is, 
And it's something, Carrie, we have talked a lot about. You wrote about it in your book, Don't Tell Me to Wait, about the um, Obama years. And I thought about it last week again because I saw that Rick Warren was stepping down as the head of Saddleback Church. Rick Warren is this leading evangelical in California. He led the campaign against to, to pass Prop 8, to take away marriage rights in 2008, and it succeeded. And it was a devastating blow for the LGBTQ community. I mean, I remember that night, election night, I went down to the White House celebrating that Obama had won, came back and saw that we had lost rights. And then Obama invited Rick Warren to speak at his inauguration, which was just like rubbing salt in the wound. And it's hard to explain to people who haven't lost rights how devastating it is. And I think there are a lot of factors that led to the work we did in the early years of the Obama administration to point, push him. But I think within our community, losing rights really changed people, radicalized people, made them demand more from the Obama-Biden administration. And because we did that, we had success. So I just feel like, I don't think people are, you know, we kind of had processed that this might happen because we saw the leaked uh, dis decision that uh, Alito had crafted. But when it actually happens, it it changes you. It really changes you. And it's and right. we're on the verge of having it happen. Right. Good time. Good time to ask Kara what she's seen. Uh, as a As a woman in America today, a young woman at that, yeah, uh, and I uh, asked. Right, go ahead. Yeah, I'm a young woman. I'm a I'm an immigrant. I'm on the internet. <laughs> I'm Latina. You know, and and I gotta be honest. Like I'm hearing all of these things that you guys are saying, and I'm glued to the TV screen watching the January 6th insurrection and stuff, and like everything. I, I work in news. That is my business. And at the end of the day, I talk to my partner and I talk to my friends. And all, you know, educated, coastal elites and doing okay in life. And I asked them, like, how are you? And the truth is, we all feel like shit. Like, mm -hmm. and that's really what it boils down to. And that is like the American sentiment right now. Is that Joe Biden's fault? Not necessarily. But that doesn't change the fact that I feel like shit. And so two weeks ago, I got COVID, my first round of COVID. And I'm four times vaccinated. I'm 31. I'm young. I like, after this, I'm going to go row, you know, like I was like, I'm wearing a mask, I'm social distancing. And I still have a sore throat. I'm still coughing. My poor partner, who is just even in better health than me, literally in the midst of our like COVID, you know, stupor, he was just like, there's something really existential about being two and a half years into a pandemic and then getting COVID for the first time. Mm -hmm. And he like, just sort of like looks out our window. We live outside of DC and is like, what's the plan, Joe? And it just feels like that over and over and over again. And again, whether it is warranted where the blame lies, he is our figurehead of the country. And so what's the plan, Joe, on student debt? Every day I get like little dribbles of information and I'm like, so am I paying? Am I going back to paying $800 a month in August? Like, what's the deal, dude? Like, what's the plan with the January 6th hearings? Like, does he have a role in this? Like, Americans don't understand that. I barely understand that. Then we have this shooting in Uvalde. What's the plan? And so that's the kind of thing that I keep going towards. So like, how do I feel? Well, I hate that I still have a lingering cough from a global pandemic. I live in D.C. and I was in D.C. when the you know January 6th insurrection happened. 
That doesn't make me feel good. I'm a gun violence survivor. None of this makes me feel good. My 401k is not doing great. And I'm lucky enough to be the 31 year old who has a 401k. I don't really look at gas prices because I live in DC, but that seems bad. And so it is one of those things where it's like Republicans, what is it? Get in line and Democrats fall in love. How can I fall in love with Joe Biden, who has been here since the beginning of time, has been in government longer than I've been alive. He's the president now. I'm glad that I don't have to like gag every time I think about who is the president, but like that's not really enough. So I think so much of it is this sentiment. And I don't know what there is to do about it, because how do you make an entire country just feel better? Like, again, whether it is justified or not, what is the morale plan for the United States? And so many of the things that we saw that were huge issues under Trump, which is like, oh, this like threat to democracy and and the conspiratorial nature of these like far right extremists, they're still there. And Thankfully, Trump doesn't have Twitter, which has been a vast improvement on my mental health. Um, He's still out getting his message, and I don't anticipate him going away anytime soon. I skimmed his ridiculous rebuttal to the January 6th, and what did it do? It just made me feel like shit. So that's that's my advice to to Democrats. It's like, well, how are you going to make me stop feeling like shit? Yeah. Well, (laughs) (laughs) so cheery. how How about some herbal tea? Does that work? (laughs) Okay. So, (laughs) sorry, Kara. Not to trivialize all the things that are, you know, bringing us all down, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, I was at a wedding um, while I was out, and I talked there, I talked to a guy I'd never met before who was, you know, who, who is a Democrat, who was, a, who is a union guy. I'm not sure he worked in something related to construction. I wasn't hundred percent sure what it was. And Bernie was his number one. I asked him, I said, who were, you know, who were you for in, in 2020? And he said, Bernie, he said, and so I was talking with him about Joe Biden. I was like, how do you feel about Joe? And, you know, and president Biden. And he, you know, he's, he started talking and I said, and it was clear that he was, you know, not wowed by what was going on. And I said, I said, and you're, you know, you're someone who wants to like the president, right? You're a Democrat. I just was trying to like make sure that I was on to what was happening. He was like, oh yeah, I want to like him. I mean, you know, just give me something, man. That's what he said. Just give me something, man. So, you know, I'm not sure whether it's, I can't tell whether there's so much going on that Biden isn't just breaking through. I did think that Biden started out the year with some with some pretty good speeches. But man, I mean, he has been um, outshone by all of the things that are happening. It's like he, I don't know if it's just that he's it's partly, I think, just a mentality for him. Just, you know, after having been in the um, in the Senate for decades. Right. You just y- you learn to be part of like a group. It's a collegial atmosphere where everybody knows each other and you're not constantly sort of having to um, bring people along with you. Right. So, yeah, no, I, our producer is talking about the $10,000 in student debt. He so uh, sorry, this is uh, just uh, he he uh, Karen Kara mentioned student debt and um he has said that he's going to do something and do something soon, but we don't know exactly what it is. And the most recent stuff I saw 
was that he was going that they that people thought he was going to cancel ten thousand dollars in student debt, um, which is a lot better than nothing. But it sure as heck isn't fifty thousand dollars either. Not to say that he promised fifty; he didn't, but he promised at least ten thousand dollars. So if if he does ten thousand dollars, he'll be keeping a campaign promise. Um, but he'll be keeping the least of his campaign right. promises, if that right. makes sense. Yeah. And and that's the thing, too, where, uh, like you're saying, that it's like we are being, he is being outshone by um, all of the things that are happening. And, the you know, the conversation, too, of whether it's like 10K and it's like, we're all, like, I, I, I follow student debt. It's my, like, quasi unofficial beat. If you follow me on Twitter, that's like the hashtag next to my name. It's like Kara Zalaya. Cancel student debt. Um, I'm obsessed with this issue and I have no clear takes on what the next steps are. And so how can you expect the average American who does not have my job, <laughs> does not live in Washington, D.C. to keep up? There needs to be I, I don't understand how Democrats are so bad at promoting the things that they are that they are good at and that they are doing. I truly I, I what more literally just scream from the mountain type to like tops on Twitter. That's, that's where I land. But Joe, you can definitely speak to this more where, like you said, just use the bully pulpit. Like I understand that Biden's very much like a, like a, you know, carry a big stick and be silent type, not to, you know, talk about a eugenicist, but <laughs> like, mm. you know, sorry, I don't like Teddy. Um, I, I'm wondering when we are going to get that like compassionate, sometimes angry Joe Biden that we did kind of fall in love with towards the end of the 2020 uh, campaign. Well, last week he spoke actually to the AFL convention and um, I played a couple of clips. I was guest hosting for John Fugelsang and I had on as a guest, Jordan Zakarin, who works for more perfect union. And we played the clip and he came on and Jordan said, where's that Joe Biden been? I want to hear more of that Joe Biden. It was just him riled up. When he's President Joe Biden, the best president a union's ever had, when he's President Joe Biden, he can be good. When he's Senator Joe Biden, going to the prayer breakfast, which is problematic as it is, and saying, Mitch McConnell's my friend. Thank you for being my friend. Mitch McConnell, who said he wants to destroy your, your presidency. That's who is your friend. What kind of message you send to the outside? And this is something your colleague, Joan McCarter, and I rant about all the time. I am so sick of the Biden administration using the B word. The, it's called the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Infrastructure, a good word. Investment, a good word. Jobs, a good word. Well, what do they call it? The bill, the bipartisan infrastructure law. Why? Why? They wouldn't have happened if you weren't president. Don't be giving credit to those Republicans. We're building back better, Joe. Oh, Jesus. Well, <laughs> you know, look, he did get screwed by Democrats. The other thing that's really interesting, too, I need and Josh Marshall from Talking Points Memo actually wrote about this in the New York Times last week, and I've seen it on Daily Coast. We are so close to getting what we want. We are so close. We know there are two big obstacles, well, three big obstacles in the Senate. First, all 50 Republicans, and the other two are Cinema and Manchin. If we can elect two more Democratic senators, and that is definitely possible, keep what we have, add two or three, add four, and keep the House. We can get this shit done. We can do it. But you know how you get people to vote? You rally your base. Republicans, look at the extremes they are going to to rally their base. They're going to overturn Roe v. Wade. 
to rally their base. They are blocking reasonable gun legislation that 90% of the American people support to rally their base. Democrats have these enormously popular proposals, like, and, you know, it, student debt. It would really impact people's lives in a positive way. Republicans don't think twice. Donald Trump didn't think twice about giving a big tax cut to billionaires. And of course, the DC kind of media just went along with it. Like, of course, that's what you do because, you know, Republicans are. Joe Biden, rally your base. It's this thing that Democrats just don't know how to do. It drives me crazy. It's like, do shit for your base. You are going to do popular things. Use that bully pulpit. Use your executive authority. And keep making the House and Senate Republicans vote to show the American people who they are. And it's a combination of all those things. And let people know we can do this if you show up. I'll do my part, Joe Biden, if you do your part. And we need everybody on the same team. And we need you to do more. Can I ask so a question for those... to Carrie real quick? <laughs> well, okay, oh, hold on two seconds. Let me just make a clarification. For those who didn't know what the B word was that Joe Sudbay was talking about, it was bipartisan. bipartisan. <laughs> it wasn't build <laughs> or back or better. It was bipartisan. Okay, sorry. So uh, I'm opposed ahead, to use of that word, okay? So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I had a question for both of you, but I wanted to toss it over to Carrie, which is, you know, we're complaining. That is our job as pundits uh, in this space. And so I want to ask the two of you, if you could, if you were Joe Biden and you had like, could do one thing, one extremely popular thing that would help and make a splash, what would it be? Oh, in a heartbeat, I would, I would cancel $50,000 worth of student debt. It would be transformative. It's a racial justice issue. It hits, um, it's extremely popular, not just among young people of color, but among people of color broadly, both Latino and black. Um, so it hits your base um, and it's life altering for them. It locks in a bunch of young Democrats who probably, some of whom voted for the first time in 2020 because they were like, our president meaning Trump, is crazy. And he's like having a meltdown every day on Twitter. And oh my God, like this guy's a danger. Like he's a, a danger to society, to America, right? So it, it would, it's something that, and you know, it, look, you, you just, one of the problems is a lot of people have, have gotten some form of debt, student debt relief through this administration. But because they haven't done something big and bold, there's all these like little loopholes. Oh, we're going to do it for the four, you know, those people who were who were screwed out of money by the for-profit industry and those people who, you know, have um, income-based rep repayment yeah. or whatever, you know, so like- It's means like, testing. Right. right. There, there's, there's some little pieces here and there at, that they have already done that are, are huge for a portion of the population- but man, you have got to be an absolute, you have got to be so clued in and following so closely to figure out whether or not you qualify for these things. Where if you just came out and did this thing big and said, we're doing it, and it's for everyone who has $50,000 worth of debt or even $40,000 worth of debt. If he did $30,000 worth of debt, I would be thrilled, frankly. Um, and, you know, like, I just think they need to do something big and blanket. So it makes headlines everywhere. People know. 
They don't have to weed through a bunch of stuff to figure out whether they qualify. I mean, that that's and, and he has the power to do it. And you know what? If Republicans want to challenge that in the courts, well, then have at it. Let's have the Republicans challenge that in the courts, because that is going to be enormously unpopular. Um, for the group of people that we're talking about. So as a in a midterm where we need a base motivator, that is what I would do because that's what I have the power to do. And you can't turn you can't make the argument that we just need two more Senate seats when you won't even use the power that you have, right? The executive power that you have on behalf of people who voted for you. So I, yeah. yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I strongly agree with it. You know, I often tell people when I was in college a long time ago, I graduated, Jesus, 40 years ago. I went to the University of New Hampshire out of state. And UNH didn't help a lot, didn't give you, cut you any slack when you went out of state. So, but I was able to get Pell Grants and very low interest student loans because back then, the government of the United States was committed to helping people get through college. I got Pell Grants. Pell Grants were created by a woman named Lois Dixon Rice, the mother of Susan Rice. And coincidentally, she grew up one street over from me. She went to my high school. So my sisters and I went through college because of the work of Susan Rice's mother. And Susan Rice is apparently one of the obstacles to getting this done, which is just mind-blowing, right? That She's, any, she is uh, what domestic policy counsel yeah, in the yeah. um, in, in the White House right now. Yeah, Susan yeah, Wright. Yeah. And David Dayan at the American Prospect did some really good reporting on that. But you're absolutely right. Like. I, I have a niece who just graduated with a nursing degree. She went in state in Massachusetts. She has seventy thousand dollars worth of loans. I, I, I had given her some money, too. Of course, I would have given her more. She had asked and she didn't. But I was like. My jaw dropped when I found that out, but that's what kids are going through. And I think there's a certain generation, my age and older, who have no concept of this because we had access to affordable college. We had a government that believed in educating people and it changed with Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan cut the budget dramatically and Democrats have never replaced it. We have not made our commitment clear. And this is a way for Joe Biden. And he can go back. He was in the United States Senate. He probably voted for Biden's budgets. I mean, Reagan's budgets, probably. I mean, I should check that. But, um, you know, he knows the history. It used to be better for students in America. The government made a commitment to it. He can show the American people again that the, that that the government can do good things for people. Yeah. I mean, I obviously would say the same thing. Um, I have some other notes that I will get to that I would also do if I was Joe Biden right now. But when it comes to student debt, that that is, like I said, my bread and butter. Um, I went to a public uh, undergrad. I went to the University of Central Florida um, with my friend Ana Eskamani, who now represents that uh, delightful area of Florida. So everyone vote for Anna. We literally were in college dems together. Um, and I, I loved it. And it was like the least expensive option. Um, and then I, I went to grad school at Fordham and I, my, I pay $800 a month is what I would have to pay again. And I, I would not see the end of that for mm, about a decade. And it is just, and I was doing that and I worked full time 
ever since I've been going to school. Like I was working as a barista. I was working as a bartender. I at one point was like volunteering for the Obama campaign, or maybe I was a paid canvasser. I can't even remember. And then I would have to go do my shift at the bar. And then I would like watch my classes because thankfully they were, some of them are recorded. And then I would wake up at five to open Starbucks. And I still have endless debt. <laughs> when I was, I actually got my job at Daily Coast, my last semester of grad school. So I was working full time and going to grad school full time. It is the most quintessential, like, young American story these days. As as for as for like older people, I actually did a, a, a quick little like mini podcast called How Do We Get Here, um, which I'm reviving this year. So I recommend I'll put the link on the description here where I talked about student which debt. Which are with- really well done, by the way. How do we get here? Really, really well done. And I studied documentary. I studied broadcast for a while in grad school. And um, they're, they're a joy to watch. They're a lot of fun, first of all, and uh, very, very well produced, especially for someone just like doing it yourself. I was like, wow. (laughs) But anyway, go ahead. Thank you. I will take that. Um, But what I did an audio version where I just talked about student debt with a bunch of different experts. And one of the things that we found out is that student debt is a huge issue for older Americans as well, who take on the debt of their children. There are countless stories of people who literally have taken on the debt who have signed on as like the co-signer or just the signer of their child's debt. And the plan is to just die. And at least their kids won't have student debt. Like that is the plan. I have read endless stories That's like this. Crazy. And it is the wildest, most depressing thing. I mean, in the time in which everything is so dystopian, the idea that what parents think they can give their children is just not bearing them with that. And by the way, when that person dies, that debt's going to be canceled anyway. So that's money that they're not going to get. And that's the other thing that is such a big misconception. Tar- Sorry to turn this into a student debt podcast, but it's what I do. Um, <laughs> the misconception, too, is that this is like money that is like, oh, like that money was spent. It is gone. And currently there's no payments being made. And we are... I mean, we're not fine. Maybe we are fine. The economy is a wildly weird and strange and complex thing. But that's not the reason why there are problems in America, that people have stopped paying student debt for two years. And I also think that if those payments start again, it's just going to plummet Biden's numbers even more. Like the idea of having two and a half years of pause. I mean, someone said this, a very progressive person said to me, like, no one has done more for my student loans than Donald Trump. Donald Trump. And that is a fact. <laughs> that's, and that's, that's and like, really stunning. What do we do yeah. with that? <laughs> yeah, no. Let me, let me redirect the conversation. Just, I, I want to say one thing, which I know could be enormously unpopular, but I was writing about Liz Cheney recently. And I was thinking, you know, because I always look at the times and I'm looking, I'm always looking for who is, these are extraordinary times. They are, they come with a lot of baggage, but there's always an opportunity in extraordinary times for people to step up, for someone to show that they get what's going on and do something about it. Right. And I don't think anyone is doing that more right now. And I consider 99% of her politics to be abhorrent than Liz Cheney. Like she, I think, underst like she, you know, we're looking for, we're saying, well, what, what? <laughs> I don't, I don't exactly want Biden to be Liz Cheney, but um, we're, you know, 
what do we need from President Biden, right? She has, I think, the vision that she has shown. You know, Joe talked about the sort of extraordinary hearings and how well orchestrated they are and how on point they are. And, you know, everybody who talks about her role has has said that she has been integral to how they've decided to prosecute the case, that they've decided to prosecute the case so so aggressively. Um, she's more well-read than practically anyone on the committee. She, you know, she's like kind of obsessed with it, but her vision is, hey, we're never going to, she doesn't care about her next election because even if she survives for another two years, it doesn't matter if Donald Trump is still controlling the party. And I just want to say, we can't, we're not going to be rid of Trump um, it, and the, the, then the threat is going to be over, right? Because the MAGA movement lives on. Like, I kind of think the MAGA movement at this point has sort of like overtaken Trump, right? But the, the ability, and I heard Bill Crystal, <laughs> another conservative guy, I don't even know what's happened to me. I heard Harry, I heard are Bill, you okay? Blink <laughs> twice. Really? If I you're, know, wow. if you need, if you need help. All right. We'll, we'll send someone. <laughs> S-O-S. No, just kidding. Um, uh, I heard Bill Crystal say this, and I, I think this is true, is that even though, because I always think, well, just because we get rid of Trump, it doesn't mean, you know, the MAGA movement is going to be over. But he did say something that made sense to me, which is it's very difficult for a, for a cult leader to hand on a cult intact to someone else. So Ron DeSantis who I actually think is much smarter than Trump and much more studied and just, I mean, that's not saying anything. (laughs) No, no, but, but trying to trying to, if Trump is sort of, if Liz Cheney is able to like cut the cancer of Trump out, right. If she's able to like get him prosecuted in a way that like, you know, deflates him or something like that. Not that she has the power, but if she backs DOJ into the corner of doing that, which I think is basically what Merrick Garland needs, the attorney general, um, then it's going to be much more difficult for that movement to be handed off intact to someone. Okay. There, there, there end up being at least some splinters where people are like, oh no, Ron DeSantis isn't my guy. My guy is, you know, so-and-so who knows, whatever it is. But like, then there ends up being some internal strife about who's the rightful heir to the MAGA movement. And that internal tension is helpful, you know? Um, and people often make the, the comparison between, um, you know, 1930s Germany and U.S. today. And you look at, but you look at Hitler, he was the problem from the beginning and the end, right? He's the guy that survived. He's the guy that like, he, he, he didn't, he couldn't make it happen initially, but made it happen eventually. Well, if someone else had tried to like rise up and be the heir to what Hitler was doing, that, you know, that might've been a different story in terms of how that played out. I don't know. Like, I, I don't want to get into that comparison too much, but I do think it's possible that at least a start to getting to defeating Trumpism and defeating the MAGA movement is it is to have Trump be he, he will the MAGA movement is never going to turn on him no matter whether the Department of Justice you know prosecutes him or not but there is this like five percent slice maybe ten percent but like five percent slice of the republican party 
that actually cares about some sort of accountability, that actually like wouldn't vote for someone who the Department of Justice was in the process of charging and, and you know, that type of thing. Like, I think what she's doing really matters. I think she has the vision to see it. She knows that it doesn't matter if she survives Liz Cheney. She knows it doesn't matter if she survives one more, um, one more election. And she sees the threat. She actually told uh, the Washington Post, or no, she said this at a recent um, fundraiser, that after January 6th, her, she looked at her two boys. Apparently she has, I mean, two kids. She looked at her two boys and said, it's no longer guaranteed that there's going to be a peaceful transfer of power in this country. And she knew what that meant, that future generations might not benefit from American democracy. It might be something entirely different. And to see the threat for what it is and then actually act on it are, are two things that that most American, most Republicans are missing. I agree. So. I do want to jump in and, and say something, though, which is... Um, and, I know. No, I mean, I, I know that no one feels more disgusting about uh, saying something positive about Liz Cheney than you do, Carrie. And I just want to make that obvious to our listeners, because I, yeah. I know that you personally uh, do not care for, for Liz, as, as no. most don't. And I agree to, to some extent. But I recently saw a stat that uh, one of the senators that has benefited the most from NRA money is Mitt Romney. He got $13.5 million from the NRA. That's a lot of money. And I use the shorthand of like Romney Republicans to talk about like a sensible Republican. And I just, I struggle. I struggle to have faith in the the idea of a sensible Republican. <laughs> because to me, that's a $13.6 million donation to supposedly one of the most sensible Republicans. I mean, the one who actually voted to impeach Donald Trump. The Don't one. get Joe started on the NRA. Well, yeah. I'd love to actually. <laughs> well, a couple of things. First of all, you know, I think one of the problems we're dealing with is, you know, you can say Romney and you can say Liz Cheney as, you know, kind of responsible Republicans. Let's just say that for what they are. But they are also Republicans who want to take away a woman's right to choose, who are willing to persecute the LGBTQ community and take away our rights. They're very happy with the Supreme Court that is set up the way it is, that is willing to take away our rights, that's gonna undermine everything. So I understand exactly what you're saying though, Carrie. The problem, one of the problems I see is I think that our media is set up as a both sides media. So the media is still like, See, as long as there's like a Liz Cheney who's sort of reasonable, then there's a both sides here. When in reality, as you said quite clearly, that's a very small, very small percentage of the Republican Party. By and large, they all march literally in lockstep with Donald Trump. And, you know, how many of them have criticized him? It, you know, uh, uh, not many, really. How many have cr criticized him in the wake of the Charlottesville um, you know, when, when, when white nationalists were marching and he said they're good guys on both sides or good people on both sides, you know, they knew exactly what they were getting, but they wanted their power. So I just think that that's an, a, important. And if you want to talk about the NRA, well, I mean, I could talk about the NRA endlessly. Um, and, you know, about literally about 28, 27, 28 years ago, the NRA actually flipped from being kind of a bipartisan type organization. I mean, 
one of the most beloved figures on Twitter for a long time was John Dingle. And I could never feel beloved towards John Dingle because he was an NRA board member for a long time. And he did some really shady shit. Like, for example, guns, the only consumer product designed to kill, is the only consumer product not regulated for consumer safety by the Consumer Product Safety Commission. Toy guns are, real guns aren't, right? I mean, and I think that is one of, one of the things that the NRA has been so good at is making it seem like anytime you propose anything, it is going to lead to the ultimate confiscation. I mean, I can't tell you how many times over the years I saw an, uh, an article in the Times or the Post where we'd be proposing some minor piece of legislation. The NRA would say, that's going to lead to confiscation. And the quote would be put in the article and treated like it was legitimate. It never was. Our gun laws are so goddamn weak and porous, and it was designed that way. So every time there's a horrible shooting, people say, well, if we had done this, if we had done this, it's never just the one thing. It's all of it. It's all of it. And it's the weak background checks. It's the lack of consumer protection regulation. It's the fact that the gun industry can't be sued. It's, you know, um, so many other things. Gun records, when you buy a gun and you fill out your form 4473, only from the licensed dealer, you know where those records are kept? On paper. In the year of our Lord 2022. It just, it, it's just an example of how weak it is. The NRA has been very effective at that. And for a long time, and I've written about this, Carrie and I have talked about this, what happened in the year 2000 it was determined that Al Gore lost because of the NRA. Al Gore didn't lose because of the NRA. Al Gore ran a shitty ass campaign, right? We had two referendums. He lost Tennessee. Never. He forget. lost Tennessee. I'll never forget. He lost. <laughs> I was nine, Florida. and I'll never forget. He, let's go to your state. He lost Florida allegedly by five hundred thirty-seven votes. He lost my about county. Broward County. We didn't talk about won. guns down remember. there. You know who did talk about guns? Leaned in heavily. Bill Nelson. Bill Nelson won by five points. He leaned in. We had had a referendum in Florida on gun shows in 1998. It passed 72 to 28. That was like a great issue. Bring it up in Florida and remind people. Oh, no, the Gore people couldn't talk about that. Gore wouldn't talk about it. He lost. And the issue was moribund for a long time because it just became conventional wisdom. Um, and after Pulse, I actually wrote a piece titled don't let conventional wisdom kill again. So the NRA is like the prime beneficiary of the warped DC conventional wisdom think that, you know, Carrie and I have encountered, when you were here, we had to deal with it on LGBT issues. Um, and, it, and the biggest purveyors of conventional wisdom are unfortunately the democratic consulting class and it's maddening. Um, anyways, I, 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 I I go on. I could go on and on, and I will stop right there. Right, and so and so, what Joe is talking about here is conventional wisdom. Once conventional wisdom gets said about a certain issue in Washington, it is Im nearly impossible to turn it around um, in the minds, and every everybody is then convinced. I mean, you know, Washington is full of a bunch of pretty nerdy people, but mm -hmm. they also all want to be in on it, right? Yeah. They want to be in, like, the, you know, they want to be the smart ones, like everybody next to them and whatever. And so there is a certain, you know, group think that happens there. Um, and so, you know, cutting against that group think, which is what we did when we worked on LGBTQ issues, which was to tell Democrats, look, this is going to be a good issue for you. You know what? 
President Obama, if you in 2012 change from, you know, a change, evolve into a marriage equality supporter, that's actually going to work for you in your yeah. reelection. And guess what? It did. But I got to tell you, making that case to Democrats was like moving <laughs> a 800 pound boulder like uphill for you know for a decade basically i still have so, scars from that carrie yeah i'll tell you recently last week um on june 15th was the 10 year anniversary of obama announcing deferred action for childhood arrivals daca which was such an emotional day i knew so many dreamers who were impacted by that and I actually tweeted this last week on may 9th 2012 obama announced support for same-sex marriage and June 15th, he announced DACA. Both were considered risky. Both were considered risky at the time. Instead, it motivated the Democratic base. People were so excited. People, like, I mean, it, it was off the charts. And that is how you win elections. It's the model That's right there. But if Obama had consulted, I mean, you know, his campaign manager was Jim Messina at the time, who I think is one of the leading purveyors of bad conventional wisdom. Um, I'm surprised Obama did it in the first place. In uh, there, There's one of my favorite stories. It was captured in the New York Times. Um, there was a meeting. It wasn't even at the White House because they wouldn't let a document to people in the White House. And Valerie Jarrett, who was his, Obama's top aide, and Cecilia Munoz, who ran domestic policy, met with a bunch of dreamers, and they said, the president can't do it. And Lorella Preelli looked at them and said, with all due respect, yes, he can. And basically he needs to do it. And they were right. Not the, not the top A's in the White House. Obama did it. And it showed that's, and that, that's what I talk about. Motivate your base, do good things for your base. Those are two vivid examples. And because of Obama supporting marriage, we know we passed four referenda that fall. It helped enormously. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, Kara, he was always happy me? with us. <laughs> Do you want to weigh in on that real quick? I mean, I, I couldn't agree more where those things, I, I actually was going to bring up DACA, so you did it for me, Joe, um, where it, it is, you have to take risks. And I think that Joe Biden, maybe potentially because, definitely because he has been in government so long, still thinks that we can play nice and get along and not make a big splash. And it's just not the politics of today anymore. And the truth of the matter is, and I want to like end my, my spiels on this thought, which is, I think that there's also just an enormous cultural shift generationally, where uh, millennials and, and even Gen Z, especially Gen Z, like we have developed, they have developed and we have developed a a sense of what we expect and want the future to be. It, in some parts, we're extremely hopeless, which is not a good place to have your young people. But in other places and in other lines of how we think, we are just we just take things as they should be. Like for for people my age, like the idea that marriage equality was not a thing is wild. Like it's wild. I was twenty five and in New York when uh, the Supreme Court ruled on that, and I was like, wait. What? I right, of course. This isn't like a, the law of the land. Like it just felt like stupid. Like it was like I can't believe that we're still discussing this. And there's so many things like that. I don't know anyone who's not like, why don't we have universal health care? Why 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 are my teeth not considered healthcare? I have to go into an office? Like so many things about the culture. I mean, I don't, but so many people do. Um have just fully changed and we are not catching up as Democrats to that. I feel like that there are a lot of, on the other side, that the extreme right, there are a lot 
of radicalized right young men, mostly white young men that are very loud. And they are, I would think they are a minority, a very small minority, but they are loud and scary and dangerous. And no one sees the very progressive younger base as a source of power that can be tapped into. And it can. We care about healthcare. I, I don't know anyone who's not scared at 26 of losing their healthcare because they're not going to be under parents' healthcare. Those like unsexy issues matter to us a lot. Also, just the environment. The fact that there's going to be like six natural disasters in California. Once again, Carrie, blink twice if you're okay. Like we yeah. are worried about that. And yeah. it is time to just get mad. I really think that anger is a big motivator. Um, I, I love that Joe Biden wants to be Grandpa Joe, and I love the aviators and the eating ice cream, but like we're just not in those times. And I don't care if he doesn't want to be the messenger for that. There are plenty of people who could be the messenger for that. When Elizabeth Warren was mad about guns, what, what was that, like a month ago, and that clip went viral, we love that. Get mad. Make it work. <laughs> like I just want to see some empathy and emotion coming out of my government because i know that we're playing at the like the grown-ups are in charge now but grown-ups get mad last time i checked right so um yeah last time i checked too because i'm a grown-up to my daughter and (laughs) (laughs) talk about testing some patients anyway um (laughs) blink twice if you're okay no no blinks okay so just kidding um (laughs) uh let me just um let me let me round up a few thoughts here. We're coming close to the end. And um, I've talked about, like, we've talked about, like, this has turned into a coffee clutch. We talk, talked you know about, we like, need that sometimes. 15, yeah. 20% of the things that I meant to talk about, which is fine. Um, but, you know, to Joe's point, uh, which is, you know, these things, the things that President Obama did in 2012, um, which helped him get reelected, right? Evolving on marriage equality, doing DACA, um, stopping the uh, putting or not putting an end, but at least at, uh, stopping work on the Keystone XL pipeline, which was a huge environmental issue um, and uh, an effort for the climate change activists. Right. Those were all things that motivated the base in 2012. And he got reelected. He did not. The, the, the Obama administration did not do those things prior to 2010 when they got, when Democrats got swamped in the 2010 midterms, right? If he had done some of those things to attend, if Obama, President Obama at the time had done some of those things to attend to pumping up the base, letting them know that their vote mattered, um, that, you know, that, that he remembered who brought him to office and that he was working on their behalf. He was fighting on their behalf, right? Um, The, the, Prospective bases, they didn't really feel like that until 2012, leading up to his reelection. So that's a lot of the reason Democrats didn't turn out in 2010. The progressive base was pissed off. It felt left behind by the administration that they had put in office. And um, what I think is, I think on the bright side that um, that the White House, the political people at the White House at least get that. Okay, I think they realize they have a midterm problem. I don't think that they've cracked any sort of code on how to address it. But I think that they understand that there's an enthusiasm gap and that the Democratic base is is, you know, could be like could stay home. Now, there's a few bright spots that I just want to mention. 
Okay. And then I'll ask for a react and we'll close it up. But we're at two minutes. We're at, we're at, this is what I like to do when Kara and I host together. Go over time. Yes. Yes. The power. Okay. So anyway, um, we're, we're an hour in. Stick with us. This is where the really good stuff starts. Um, so, so the good news is in terms of motivating the base is that um, this abortion uh, decision it, which is not a decision that any one of us wanted is probably going to happen and is probably going to gut row, assuming that the reporting um, that came out last month is true. And, you know, that the, the decision as it was written, that was probably still in the editing process, but by authored by uh, Ju Justice Samuel Alito, um, and that was confirmed, right, uh, by the chief justice, that that was an actual opinion that was offered by him and that at that point had the majority vote, Right. So um, we're, we're going to see what kind, what, how this comes out. But Roe is likely to be gutted within the next week or two weeks. And uh, the American people are very, very much with Democrats on this. And as Joe mentioned earlier, uh, the, the way losing rights plays to people is kind of, it's kind of unleashes a storm that, that is unknowable. Um, in the beginning. And so that is a major, regardless of what's happening in the White House, that is a major motivator. I do know that uh, Democrats are getting, you know, Democrats are preparing for this. The DCCC is polling, uh, um, you know, the abortion issue in basically every district, every, every, every district. Um, the, uh, the Democratic Governors Association has already dropped um, a, like some really powerful ads, they're focusing on places where they have governors that are going to be um, standing between uh, abortion and um, in the state uh, and, you know, having people having abortion access in the state and literally being banned altogether. Um, so a place like uh, Pennsylvania, where if Doug Mastriano, the right wing uh, Republican who is the gubernatorial nominee there, um, takes over, he, he wants to end abortion statewide entirely. Um, so the, De the Democratic Governors Association is uh, dropping ads already. The, um, the DNC is already doing trainings on messaging and things around abortion. Um, the groups of NARAL, the pro-abortion uh, rights groups, NARAL and uh, um, EMILY's List and um, Planned Parenthood have already put $150 million into an ad campaign. And all of that is going toward an effort to, amid this maelstrom of issues that I talked about at the beginning, keep this front and center for voters. And it's going to be front and center to some extent because we're going to watch some, some abortion bans in GOP states that are just going to be unimaginable. And there are there is going to be um, some there are going to be some really tragic stories that come out of that. Like, for instance, I just saw a woman, um, you know, in in Texas. I mean, you can call this not tragic, but, you know, her life is forever changed. A Texas teen. It was in Washington Post who um, had t twins and had originally wanted to have an abortion. But because of the Texas abortion ban, couldn't have it. Um, and she now has twins. She's a teen trying to take care of these two kids and she is practically a kid herself um and she has a partner it's not clear to me that she has you know she has a partner i'm not so sure that they're married but um you know that like she 
her life is forever changed. And she's a child caring for two twins and with very little support, it seemed like. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of stories like that um, and worse, worse stories. Um, and those that is going to keep this abortion matter in the headlines, um, along with this, you know, sort of epic effort by um, Democrats to make sure everybody knows how this came to be um, and who's who's on who whose side. The American public is very much with Democrats on this. Um, the January sixth, I think, uh, uh, is is worth reminding people that there is a clear and present danger as uh, Judge uh, Conservative Judge Ludd. Uh, testified to last week that Donald Trump continues to be a clear and present danger, that uh, Republicans, uh, MAGA Republicans, as well as GOP lawmakers who have turned the other cheek and just let Trump do whatever he wants to do, that the whole movement, the entire party practically is a clear and present danger to the democracy. And um, I think that the January 6th commission is making that in no uncertain terms. It is not going to change anyone's mind in the MAGA movement. That is not happening. Um, but on the margins, there are some people like never Trumpers. Um, there are some Republicans and there is a swath of independents and also um, a bunch of Democratic voters who might decide it's worth my time to get to the polls because this is, as I said at the beginning, unprecedented, Right. Um, so I, I don't think any, you know, anyone who tells you that they know based on historic pre historical precedent, how this election is going to come out is just like full of crap. Okay. Um, I encourage everybody to get out there, get involved. First of all, when you're in shitstorm, it's best to have company. <laughs> Um, it makes you better to feel in a room full of people who are working toward a common cause, a common goal, um, to have a goal. Um, and I don't think we have the, the surprises of this year are, have not stopped coming. They are going to continue. Uh, we don't know where this is going. So um, <laughs> we spent a lot of time talking about Joe Biden and we wish he would do certain things. But there's a lot of other people who have agency to act. Um, and that includes you. That includes all of us. Um, and, you know, Joe Biden could could do some things yet that could be helpful. Um, he has tried in some cases. Uh, he has done very well, I think, on the pandemic. It's not his fault that Republicans wouldn't take the vaccine. He made that vaccine available to everybody. Um, you know, uh, they helped a lot of people through the pandemic with the uh, with the original legislation that was passed within the first few months of the the administration, um, and you know we can get to the other side of this a lot more unscathed than we thought. Joe, Joe, and Kara, do you want to add one last thing before uh, we we end this um, epic coffee clash? <laughs> um, I, I I just would like to follow up on something you said, Carrie. Yes, we need Biden to do things, and it's important. But this is about more than Joe Biden, the Democratic. This is about us. This is about our world. This is about our futures. This is about our bodies. And um, we saved democracy. Collectively, we saved democracy in 2020 by turning out Joe Biden. The voters of Georgia, with some help from all of us on the outside, uh, brought us the Senate. 
It's the voters who did that. And, you know, we need to keep demanding more of our elected officials. But I, I can't say I'm not going to do, I can't imagine saying I'm not going to vote because of Joe Biden, because the alternative is so horrific. We are seeing what the Republicans are do. They've told us for decades they want to control women's bodies, and we're going to see them make a big step forward in achieving that goal. And don't think they're not coming for everything else. I mean, Kara, you mentioned how same-sex marriage is just like just a you know a given. Look at the way Republicans have decided to attack the queer, queer community right now. We are all under attack. If you are not a straight, white, rich Christian male. There is no place for you in the Republican Party and willing to be violent, too, because a lot of them are willing to be violent. So we need to save our democracy. And I strongly encourage everyone, start with your state legislative candidates, like Ana Eskamani, like Emily Randall, who you had on a couple weeks ago, Kerry. State legislative candidates around the country, they're on the front lines, they're knocking the doors, and they're going to help boost turnout for the top of the ticket as well. So... Um, thank you. First, and I just want to thank like this to me, this has been such a dork geek fest. I mean, I'm like so excited about this past hour and 10 minutes that we've been able to spend together. Kara and Carrie, thank you so much for, first of all, for what you do every day, um, the work you both do. And thank you for having me on as a guest. I'm truly honored. I have nothing more to add than what Joe just said. I think that that was the the perfect thing. I will just do one quick pitch because I'm sure our uh, producer is very worried now, um, which is get involved with down ballot races and follow them. And we have an excellent podcast that DKE does. I produce. It's called The Down Ballot. You can find it anywhere. It is the wonkiest 45 minutes. It comes out every Thursday morning. We've had Joe on. It is excellent. I truly believe that. And I don't just say that. Please go ahead and follow it, listen to it, find out about the minutia of what's going on and also what where you can get the best bang for your buck in your donations, because there might not be many races that in your area that you can make a big difference in, but there might be a swing area where you can make a difference and your money will go a long way. Right. My and two favorite the- podcasts are The Brief yeah. and The Down Ballot and it, it, for, for, for much the same reasons. It's a, it's a, I, get, I love it. So, so, and that's put out, the, the down ballot is put out by Daily, Daily Coast Elections. When Kara says DKE, that's Daily Coast Elections. So read them and go to the down ballot, sign up for it. If you I haven't signed up for the brief, if you haven't given us a review, please go ahead and do that wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, uh, so I just want to thank everybody for sticking with us. Our producer originally said, hey, just go for 40, 40 minutes and see where it goes from yeah. there. <laughs> or... 70 minutes. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) Uh, we're rebels, but we have a cause. And uh, we are about to sign off. I want to thank you, Kara Zelaya and Joe Sudbay for for a great conversation today. Um, Thank you for everybody who stuck with us. Um, and thank you to our producer, Walter Einenkel, who hopefully hasn't fallen asleep. Uh, Dorothy He, who is heading up uh, communications for us now, writes these shows up every, every week. Um, and Paul Hogarth, who helps us uh, put together some good clips from the show. So am I missing anyone, Kara? Did I miss anyone? I feel like we did. No. Okay, good. Well, thank you all. Uh, come back again next week. Uh, Marco should be here. He'll be driving. He sticks to a closer 60 minutes. Mm. <laughs> And uh, keep stay safe, be good, be well. 
Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, give us a rating wherever you get your podcast. You can always talk to us at dailycoast.com or on Twitter at dailycoast. See you next week.